I'd like to say hello to everyone this morning. Um, and even though it was just said, we'll, we can throw out the usual Sunday morning plan, I think we'll just keep it uh, uh, in its regular format. So uh, it's now 9.30, so we'll have a, a sitting now from, uh, from now until 10.15. And then um, also I understand there's a, a family program if families show up, or I mean, we are already family people, <laughs> but if uh, people of varying ages show up, um, then they'll we'll have a some kind of um, more celebratory uh, event in the, the later part of the morning. So we'll see how that unfolds with uh, with uh, who shows up and how things take shape. But for now, we'll just have a, a quiet sitting, and I'll just say. Uh, uh, give a little bit of guidance during the, the sitting, but uh, it'll be mostly a quiet time. like to recommend that the, the beginning of any formal period of meditation just as we sit here eyes gently closed before trying to do anything at all with the body with the mind just to bring the attention to what the sensation the perception of this moment is just as we find it. What's our mood? Are we tired, cheerful, sleepy, depressed? Nondescript? Expectant? Anxious? Whatever it might be, just to notice this is the, the mood of the moment. And similarly with the body. Are we warm or cool? Feeling heavy or light? Comfortable, uncomfortable, or neutral? How does the body feel? What's its texture? How do we perceive its presence right now? This is our starting material. This is our beginning point. So appreciating the body, the mind as it is. And centering the attention, bringing that into the body, feeling the, the presence of our backbone, the spine, 
and inviting ourselves to to sit a little taller, to let the spine grow and straighten, lengthen to its its full, comfortable, natural extent. And then to allow the rest of the body to relax fully and completely around that. Often I like to think of this as a, if the spine is a a firm central pillar and uh, the rest of the body is draped over it like a a length of, of soft, fine, beautiful cloth it's draped, draped over, falling in easy, gentle folds around that, that central column, completely relaxed, settled, free from tension. Even though the body always dwells in the present moment, the mind tends to drift into abstractions of of past and future. Imagination loses contact with this present reality. So we can find ways to, to help anchor our attention here in this present moment. Just as the body is always here in the, in the moment, so too we can anchor the attention to be similarly stable, unwavering. The mind drifts towards distraction or towards dullness, sleepiness according to its own habits, disposition. So we take an object, a simple object to help notice that quality of distraction, that blurring as it begins to occur. So whatever object is most helpful or favorable to you, a feeling of the, of the breath, entering and leaving the body, or using a, a mantra, or as we were discussing yesterday, listening to the 
inner sound focusing on the high-pitched continuous ringing tone in the background of our hearing whatever's your favored object for anchoring the attention just let that rest at the very center Bring that object to the center of your awareness and let it fill the attention. Just to support the quality of wholehearted, focused reception of this present moment. Meeting, receiving this moment. And when you discover that the mind's drifted off, fallen asleep, gone off chattering about the future, the past, then with great kindness, but with clarity, let go of whatever it is the mind has, has taken hold of, gently release it, come back to the center once again.
Whenever you find the mind is settled, the attention rests easily here in the present, and just let go of any particular object that you've been using to to help focus. If that if that stability is already established, there's no need to to tie the mind, tie the attention to any one thing. So if there is that settledness, that ease, openness to the present, just let there be a 
a simple unbiased awareness that's receiving the feelings of the body, the sounds we hear what different thought forms take shape it's receiving that into the, the open knowing quality of the, of the mind, of the heart receive it, know it, let it go being that spacious knowing quality accommodating apprehending each moment <coughs> knowing each sound is just a sound each feeling is just a feeling each thought is just a thought arising, ceasing ownerless empty transparent
So are you expecting many more people to come the 10.15? So to um, just to say uh, maybe a, a word or two um, This is a uh, celebration of uh, Visakha Puja, and uh, most Buddhist countries have their own uh, particular days for celebrating different Buddhist festivals, so that the festival days in Japan are, are one form, in China they're another form, in Tibet they're another form. Um, but most of the Theravada Buddhist countries, uh, Sri Lanka, Burma, Thailand, Laos, uh, um, Cambodia, they tend to have their festival days at the same time. And so uh, they, uh, in the monastic year, there's, the, uh, there's four um, particular festivals. Uh, the three are allied to the full moon days, and then the, the fourth one is uh, what's called the Katina, after the, which happens after the rains retreat. So the three ones that are based on the full moons, they are, they're known as... Um, days to represent the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And the uh, Visakha, the full moon of May, is the Buddha day, and because this is taken um, uh, as the day when the, the, the Buddha was born, uh, that uh, his birthday was the full moon of May, as a Bodhisattva up in Lumbini, in, uh, in, Nip- in what is now Nepal. And then uh, his enlightenment occurred on the full moon of May in Bogaya, in Bihar, and um, then the uh, final uh, passing away, Parinibbana, that occurred in Kushinara, also on the full moon of May. Uh, so there's obviously different years. <laughs> he was, uh, he, his enlightenment came 35 years after his birth, and then the Parinibbana came 45 years later. So the Buddha was very neat in the Eastern art tradition. <laughs> He was a very or, had a very orderly way of, of going about things. So he he uh, he's a great list maker and uh, compiler of teachings. <laughs> so he he very neatly arranged the birth, enlightenment, and passing away all on the same day. So uh, we have sort of Christmas and Easter all rolled into one. And then uh, just as a as a footnote, though, the other days, the one uh, the other full moon days, which are are not quite such big festival days in the, in the Theravada world, are um, the uh, Asala Puja, which is the full moon of July. And uh, that represents uh, the anniversary of the first teaching. So it's said that after the enlightenment in May, then uh, the Buddha walked from Bodhgaya to Varanasi, <coughs> to Varanasi on uh, the river Ganges. And uh, he met up with his five former companions uh, in the deer park at Saranath, outside of Varanasi. And uh, that was the time that he first uh, gave the teaching on the Middle Way and the Four Noble Truths, and that occurred in the, the deer park. There's, and those of you who've ever been to Varanasi uh, and the, the deer park there, they'll, you'll know there's a, a great stupa, and there's still deer in the deer park, along with a, a other sort of ragtag zoo of <laughs> collection of other creatures there. Um, Similarly, at Bodhgaya, there's a, there's a great stupa, a great shrine there, um, marking the place of enlightenment. 
also at Lumbini, where um, uh, his birth occurred uh, in uh, in Nepal. There's a, a stupa there that marks the place of his birth. So uh, the uh, Asala Puja is in uh, in July, and so that's representing the Dhamma Day. It's the, f- the first teaching. So the Visaka in May is the Buddha Day. Asala Puja, the day that the, fir- the, the Dhamma teaching was first expounded and brought into form. And then the, the uh, third one, which is uh, the least well-known, is in February. That's called Maga Puja. And these are named after the months they occur in. So Visaka is just the month of May. Asala is the month of July. Maga is the month of February. And that, uh, uh, that um, represents uh, an occasion um, probably just a couple of years after the Buddha's enlightenment. It's not precisely clear when it, when it occurred. But this was a, uh, a spontaneous gathering of 1250 arahants <laughs> without e- the benefit of email or Twitter <laughs> or, or any kind of um, uh, website uh, web posting that uh, uh, and it seems to be uh, have been shortly after the Buddha's enlightenment when he, he started to teach and he had uh, encountered the, the Kasapa brothers and they were all uh, spiritual teachers and they, were, they all had these different groups of fire worshippers, a uh, monastic um, group of, of uh, ascetics who were fire worshippers and they'd all become the Buddha's disciples and there was a thousand in that group of the, of the Kasapas. And so it seems like along with the, the, the former fire worshippers then there was already another 250 enlightened beings who were uh, all around about that area of, um, of northeast India in the Ganges Valley. And so that the, uh, the gathering in Magapuja occurred in the bamboo grove in Rajagaha. So that was the very first Buddhist monastery. It was the first land that was ever offered to the Buddha to be a permanent place. Before then they just lived uh, in random forests and, and um, uh, caves and um, Parkland, where they could uh, find a, a place to, to to rest for the night, but uh, the bamboo grove in Rajagaha, that was uh, the capital of um, King Bimbisara's kingdom of uh, Magadha at that time. That was the first land offered, and that was where the, the Buddha gave this teaching. He was staying there in the bamboo grove, and he'd been invited there by the, by Bimbisara to, to to be available to teach him. And I guess because it was the cold season and everyone was sort of enjoying the the, um, uh, the cooler weather and the opportunity to meditate off in the hills, they, people had clustered around also the opportunity to be near the Buddha and, and everyone seemingly had the idea, oh, it's the full moon, I should go and see the Master, see if he's going to give us any teachings. And it seemed like in the minds of 1,250 enlightened beings, that same thought <laughs> arose and they all showed up. And so that was the greatest gathering of enlightened beings during the lifetime of the Buddha. And that, uh, that occurred on the full moon of February. And so that is, uh, that's recollected each year as Maga Puja. So that's known as the Sangha day. Uh, and in, in Thailand in particular, they use that as a day to come together and to pay respects to the teacher and to, um, uh, say, recommit to one sense of, of um, Communion with a particular group, or, or, or a, a sense of gratitude to the to the teacher. So, one of my first experiences in Thailand, I showed up there in uh, uh, January of '78, and I was I knew nothing about Buddhism. I'd never meditated. I was literally straight off the beach, 
and I stumbled into this monastery in northeast Thailand and um, I was very very new to the whole thing and uh, uh, the abbot was a very friendly genial character um, Joseph he's now Joseph Kappel he was then Ajahn Pabakro uh, he, he left the robes about 20 years ago now but he uh, uh, he was sort of took me in and was showing me the ropes and uh, by then I'd already become a, 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 an anagarika, a, a white-robed novice. And so he said, um, well, we're having Magapuja over at the main monastery. Do you want to come? So I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, up to that time, it was, I had a, when I'd been over to the main monastery, uh, it seemed a kind of bleak place and the, 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 it all seemed quite sort of large and there weren't, uh, didn't seem as quite as sort of friendly and and congenial as the monastery where the foreign monks lived. And, and when I met Ajahn Chah, I've seen pictures of Ajahn Chah when I met him. My first experience of him was somewhat forbidding. He was kind of stern and of a, a, um, uh, a somewhat challenging figure. And um, so I liked being at the monastery with the Westerners, but the main monastery, I thought, mm, well, you know, I'm not sure about that, but I like these guys. Anyway, so he said, why don't you come over for this festival? And then uh, what, um, what I experienced, that was, that was a full moon in, in February, uh, was that about 3,000 people gathered. Um, all of the, the monks and nuns of the community from all the branch monasteries had gathered at that time. That was the main gathering day of the year. Because again, it's the cool season, it's dry, it's easy to travel. It's the, uh, so many people would have walked all, you know, all across different parts of Thailand and gathered there. So you had probably three or four hundred monastics, three, about three thousand lay people all gathered there. So we, we arrived just at, at sunset and then come into the, the main hall and it's just jam-packed. And I had never seen you know, that number of, of, uh, of you know, religiously inclined people. And, uh, you know, in, in Britain, churches, I mean, I hardly ever went to church, but churches do not have parking lots in Britain. <laughs> they are, you know, if, on an average Sunday, if you get like six people to show up for a church service, it's, it's, that's, that's a good turnout. You know. So this is really impactful. Like, wow, this is incredible. And this, this jam with, with the, the, the monks up on one side and the nuns over on the other side and the lay people spilling, you know, filling the hall and spilling out into the, all of the area around it. Wow, this is incredible. And so then the ceremony began, and um, and this is similar to what they have for all of these these lunar day festivals, Visakha Puja and Asala Puja. It's the same. That it begins with a, a period of chanting, and then they, um, uh, as a, as a whole group led by the 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 teacher, the abbot, he would make a, a formal dedication. Okay, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, if we'd like to do that this morning, we can do a, a sort of pocket-sized version of this. But it's a very short passage saying, okay, today is, say, the Maga Puja day, and this is the day when there was the spontaneous, this was the day that the, the Buddha first laid down the, um, the rudiments of the monastic rule. He gave the first instruction on discipline to the community. This was a spontaneous gathering of 1,250 enlightened beings. Um, and it was also the anniversary of when Sariputta and Moggallana first showed up. But they, they weren't in that initial group. They, they were both old friends, and the Buddhas, who, they became the Buddha's chief disciples. And that was the day when they both happened to, to come and meet the Buddha for the first time. Happened to. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Just wandering by. You know. 
And um, so then they make a little announcement together, and so the teacher would say a few words, and everyone would repeat. And so if you can imagine what it's like, it's this sort of uh, this huge body of people all gathered together and, and following these words. And, and I'm, you know, I'm just a hippie off the beach. I don't really haven't got a clue what I'm involved in, but there's this definite feeling of like, wow, wow, <laughs> this really is something. And then what, what was the most extraordinary experience then was then we, we all, after that little announcement, then we all stood up and started to file out of the, the building. And then people had prepared these many, many uh, tables of candles and flowers and incense, and we all picked up a, a candle and that was, we then lit. And then we went out in a procession and we walked uh, 3,000 people in a line all through the forest, around the, the, the building. Um, you know, through the central area of the monastery. And we're all walking along with our, you know, with our candles in our hands and, and then, you know, reciting I- internally uh, Namo Bhutaya on the first round, Namo Dhammaya on the second round, Namo Sankhaya on the third round, like homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dhamma, homage to the Sangha. And uh, uh, I'd already be, I, I had already become quite inspired and moved by being in the community and thought, this is great, this is just the sort of thing I was looking for. But then walking around through the forest that night and just seeing this huge line of, of candles you know, all around the central area and everyone walking along and, and all the lay people were wearing white and uh, the monastics in their, in their robes and, and newly shaved heads and under the full moonlight. And there was this clear sense of, I think this is bigger than I realized. <laughs> this, this is not just something, this is really something. I'm not, I'm not sure what it is, but this is really something. And, and I, I don't know how I stumbled into this, but I think I'm going to stick around here. And then, then we, so we went three three times around the whole central area of the, the monastery. And then at the end, um, obviously completely against all sorts of fire regulations, uh, people then because it's here in the forest, so there's around that central area that the forest begins. And so then everyone would, took their candle. And then, um, then melted a little bit of wax, and then put the candle in the low branches of the trees. And so then, so then there's this inc- this ring of light surrounding the, the temple through the forest. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't quite, you know, entirely. Um, uh, I don't think all of all of the chemicals had weaned themselves out of my system <laughs> by that time. Or it may have just been sort of a spontaneously mystical <laughs> experience, but it was there was this extraordinary feeling, a quality of rapture and delight, and sense. Oh, this is this is really a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, so uh, we have uh, on those uh, those same lunar nights uh, uh, at Abayagiri and our other monasteries in the West, we have a similar kind of ceremony. It's not quite so grand, not so quite so many people. <laughs> Not on quite such a grand scale, but we we follow that same kind of tradition and use these these festival days to recollect the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So there's that wonderful sort of festive and devotional quality to it, but it's it's also interesting to reflect on, uh, and one of the, the the important aspects of the the, the teaching is how the external aspects or symbolic or historical aspects relate to us internally. Um, so that uh, it's interesting that you have the birth, the enlightenment, and the passing away are all gathered together in a sin- single bundle. 
and uh, there, there's different ways that you can you can reflect on that, consider that. But one of the things that occurred to me was that it was really uh, uh, on the basis of a, a teaching that the, the Buddha gave to Ananda. Um, one time, Ananda was chatting with the uh, you know other monastics in the hall, and uh, they were talking about the, the miraculous stories about the Buddha's birth, and how. And Ananda was saying, and this is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the, the Buddha. You know, when uh, when his mother got became pregnant, she had this this dream of, a, of an enormous white elephant with six tusks that appeared uh, before her in this dream and, and entered into her body and, and occupied her body. And and this was a, a symbol of the Bodhisattva appearing uh, within her within her womb. Yeah. Isn't this an incredible and amazing thing? And then throughout her entire pregnancy, she was completely comfortable and at, and at ease, and her mind was free of all kinds of anxiety during the whole time that she was, she was expecting the Bodhisattva. Wasn't this an incredible? Wasn't this a wonderful and marvelous thing? And then um, there, and then there's this long succession of, of stories. Then when she gave when she gave birth, she gave birth standing up. She was on the way. She was making her way uh, home from. Um, her, uh, her place in, in Kapilavatu to, uh, to go to her hometown in the, the Koliat country. And uh, she, uh, uh, but her, her labor set in along the way, so she gave birth to the, the, the Bodhisattva in the forest, and so she, she was holding onto a tree when she gave birth. Um, so uh, she was standing up when the Bodhisattva was born. Wasn't this an incredible, amazing thing? And then when he was born, when he appeared from the womb, then these devatas, <laughs> these angelic beings, all appeared and, and <laughs> didn't need a midwife. You know, these devatas showed up and caught the, the Bodhisattva as he uh, appeared from his mother. Wasn't that an incredible, a wonderful and marvelous thing? And, um, and not only that, but as soon as he appeared, then these spontaneous, uh, these jets of warm and cool water spontaneously appeared from the sky to wash him. Bathing, <laughs> bathing the baby uh, with this, these jets of water from the sky. This is what an incredible, what a wonderful, marvelous thing! How amazing! And uh, not only that, but uh, uh, once uh, once he was born, he immediately stood up and started walking. And not uh, wasn't that an incredible, wonderful, and marvelous thing. And not only that, but when he started walking, with every footstep, a lotus blossom appeared from the ground. <laughs> burst up under his foot as a, a fully born lotus blossom as this newborn baby starts walking. Isn't that a wonderful and marvelous thing? How incredible. And not only that, but when he'd taken seven steps, then he, he raised his hand to the sky and said, I am the leader in the world. I am the foremost in the world. Isn't that an incredible, wonderful, marvelous thing? And so then, uh, as the story goes, the Buddha shows up, as he often does in these tales. The, the Buddha showed up at that point and said, oh, what, what was it that you were all talking about? What was it? What kind of conversation were you having when I showed up? And Ananda, being extremely thorough and having perfect recall, then recounts the entire <laughs> conversation and saying, and this is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Buddha. And, and all the way along, you, you get the feeling the Buddha's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he doesn't say any of this, this is just, this is just legend or folklore. He doesn't deny that, that's, that those things actually occurred. Um, but when he, Ananda gets to the end of that account of, repeating all of these amazing, incredible things, uh, then the Buddha says, and do you want to know another wonderful and marvelous quality of the Buddha? And you can almost feel the, sort of the, the collective intake of breath. 
Ooh, we're going to get some really interesting stuff now. You know, okay, here comes some more good, more good stories, and everyone, you can almost feel everyone leaning forward. And he says, you know, Ananda, when a thought arises in the mind of a Buddha, he knows this is a thought. <laughs> this is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Buddha. And when a thought fades away in the mind of a Buddha, he knows this thought has faded away. This is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Buddha. When a feeling arises, when a perception arises, when a mood arises in the mind of a Buddha, he knows this is a, a feeling, this is a perception, this is a mood. And when it fades away, he knows this, this mood, this feeling, this thought, this perception has faded away. These two are wonderful, marvelous qualities of the Buddha. So. <laughs> Ananda and the others are sort of duly, uh, duly uh, informed and, and uh, are kind of not exactly chastened or scolded, but saying, yes, there are those miraculous things, all that stuff that happens outside, but what's really amazing is that we can actually change ourselves internally, that we can, we can wake up and we can develop a quality of um, uh, understanding and uh, clarity in relationship to our own thoughts and feelings, what, what goes on within us. So reflecting on that teaching, which I find that's a very wonderful and marvelous teaching, <laughs> That the Buddha both brings them down to earth, but he, he doesn't deny the, the magical and mysterious and, and uh, mythological side of it, but he doesn't inflate it either. Uh, and so then he, uh, he brings it back to, to earth and he makes it practical. So thinking about what, what we have in the, uh, the story of the lifetime of the Buddha, the birth, the enlightenment and the passing away, all occurring on the same day, all on the full moon day of May. You might think, well, it's just a Coincidence. Some of you, math, some of you math whizzes, might have already worked out the probability. <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the uh, what's the probability of, of those three events all occurring on the, the same the same lunar day? But it's also you can think of it as representing the the life of the Buddha internally, because the Buddha means the one who is awake. That it's that quality of being awake and aware within us. So just as the Buddha is saying to Ananda. The wonderful and marvelous quality of a Buddha is that is there's a knowing of a thought when it arises. That the the quality that knows that awareness that is that is the Buddha. Uh, that that uh, the word Buddho or Buddha is used for that quality of awareness, that awakeness. So when we think about the life of the Buddha, we can look up upon our own experience of our minds, our meditation, in the same way. That you can think of, say, the arising of a thought. Just or a feeling, a sensation is that's like the the birth moment, and just as even though there was all this miraculous and wonderful stuff around the 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 Bodhisattva's birth, still his childhood was you know was a he was a regular kid and he had a life growing up um, in uh, in some ways quite privileged, other ways uh, just the usual rough rough and tumble of of the world, and then. Um, living comfortably for a while and then seeing the, uh, the difficulties and stresses of the world going forth to, to be a, a wanderer. So one way that I, I like to think about this is like a thought arising in, in the mind and it's just, it's just doing its thing. We think that's a, a, pleasant, uh, a pleasant sound or that's a, a, an uncomfortable feeling in, in the leg. You don't make anything of it. It's just, it's just a thought or a feeling, a perception. It's just life doing its thing. And then... Um, then the the uh, the moment when the the, the bodhisattva leaves the palace um, is the moment where we think, hang on a minute, 
I'm really making a lot out of this pain in my leg or I'm getting really excited about that beautiful music or I'm getting really annoyed by the sound of that traffic. Uh, so in a way, suffering arises as an awareness of things being out of tune, uh, uh, the things being wrong. And then the struggle of the Buddha trying to make, uh, trying to train himself to work as a, as a, uh, an ascetic is in a sense us trying to work with that particular thought or feeling, whether it's a pleasant thing that we're trying to let go of or a, a, a painful thing that we're, we're um, not, not trying to push away. The moment of enlightenment is the moment where we recognize, oh, that feeling, that pain in my leg is actually just a pain. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't have to be a problem. It is just what it is. It's a part of nature. So the moment of enlightenment is just recognizing, oh, when the Buddha knows there is a thought, it, we, we see it's just that. It's no more, no less. No big thing. So then, having awakened to it, then the rest of the life of the Buddha from the enlightenment to the final passing away is, yes, there is that feeling is still there or the traffic is still, the truck is still passing. Uh, that's all doing its thing. But um, it's, it is just that, no more, no less. We don't have to be uh, upset or excited about it. And so then, uh, finally living all the way through to the Parinibbana, the, the final passing away, is the, uh, this is the, say, when the, the, the moment where the truck has passed, the moment where the, the, the pain has faded away, the moment where the thought or the mood is finished, there's a silence. Like when the refrigerator switches off <laughs> or the air cooler shuts down. There's a, oh. And uh, you know, when, we, uh, when somebody passes away or when we're doing funeral verses, there's a, a, little, um, a little chant that we do that uh, goes, uh, all conditioned things are impermanent. They're of the nature to uh, arise and pass away. Things having come into being, having integrated, it's their nature to disintegrate. And in their passing is peace. Te sang vu pasamo suko. In their passing is peace, is, is happiness. And so, uh, as we, you notice, when, when the condition comes to an end, the truck passes, conveniently arranged. <laughs> There's a, a, a natural quality of stillness that we can really appreciate that quietness in that moment when the, the thing comes to an end or the sound of the bell. You know, it's there, it's born, it's doing its thing, then there's the recognition, oh, it's just a sound. It's beautiful, it's perfect, it's utterly ordinary. It is just what it is. And then when it fades... There's a stillness. So that uh, we can look at the life of the Buddha and that whole story as being representing a single little patch of, of our experience right there. So it's, not, it's a mythological tale, but by, by grouping the birth, the, the enlightenment and the passing away into a single bundle, it's a, a way we can, we can map our own experience. That's what's happening all the time. This sort of uh, birth into you know, average, ordinary, do, 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 ignorance, then waking up, or, or first of all, wanting to do something with it, or realizing we need to do something with it, then waking up, living at peace with it, and then it fades. And then there's peace. So, those are some thoughts.
thoughts to reflect on for the day. I, I get a feeling there's a gathering has, has happened and or is happening. So I thought that what we could do, um, if people would like, I was chatting with Mary Grace earlier today, um, we could have our own, have our own little um, Visakha Puja celebration. It's not moonlight. <laughs> We're not off in the forest, but uh, we, uh, we need to adapt in the new times, new countries, new situations. And so um, I thought that uh, if people would like what we could do, we could uh, just make our own little dedication to begin with and then um, to uh, uh, walk around. We can go outside and we can walk around the building. The, the gym folks run around it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so get our own back on the gym. No, no, no. <laughs> Not getting our own back on the gym people. But uh, we'll just, just join them. Join them. Joining the gym people. We'll go around clockwise, sunwise, uh, uh, which is the, the usual way we, we go around. So that uh, we'll... Uh, and as we walk around, you can have your hands t- together. Uh, obviously, this is not compulsory if you don't feel comfortable joining in with uh, religious rituals, that's totally fine. You can just stay here and, and enjoy the the quiet inside. But if you'd like to join in, you're more than welcome to. And so, going around the first time, and uh, to be bringing to mind the qualities of the Buddha. And you can repeat uh, a little mantra, if you like, to help keep concentrated. Uh, the mantra of Namo Buddhaya, which means, I pay respects to the Buddha, I honor the Buddha. And then, on the second time around, Namo Dhammaya, I respect, I honor the, the, the Dhamma, the truth of the way things are, the, uh, the, uh, the reality of nature. And the third time around, to uh, uh, repeat internally, Namo Sankhaya, I respect, I honor the, those um, students of, of the Buddha, those who have followed the Buddha's way and who have awakened to that reality. Does that seem appealing? Okay. Again, it's not compulsory, so if you prefer uh, to just stay indoors or um, uh, do other things, that's absolutely fine. But uh, we, can, uh, we can do that together. So we'll uh, start off by paying our respects to the shrine. You, you might want to give some instructions because some of these people probably don't know. Okay. So um, the... When, when we bow, uh, what this means is, it's exactly the same thing. We, we bow three times. Buddhists always do things in threes, just to make sure you've got it. <laughs> make, make, you, uh, you, you've actually showed up for the event. So the first time is bowing to the Buddha, which means paying respects to, to the Buddha as a teacher, but also to that quality of being awake, um, being aware, even on a Sunday morning. At, uh, be awake, even though it's 10.45, it's, you know, even those who've had a lie in it <laughs> can be, uh, be awake by now. So it's uh, uh, revering, looking up to the quality of being awake, being wise. Then bowing to the Dhamma means bowing to nature, to the way things are, to the, and to the Buddha's teachings about that. Then the third time bowing to the Sangha means bowing to the quality of um, unselfishness, the, the capacity we have to be unselfish, to be respectful, Harmonious and to bowing to the uh, paying respects to those who have awakened to the, the Buddha's teachings, those who have followed his his path. So um, this, you can just uh, follow along. We when we bow, we bring our hands to our, our forehead, and then um, 
bring the head slowly down to the ground. I can demonstrate. I'll do a side-on so you can see. For easy access, so bringing the hands together like this, then up to the forehead, and then down to the ground. So your head goes between your two part, your two hands. Also, ideally, without sticking the butt up to the sky, <laughs> but uh, as the body allows. And then on the third one, then you just bring the the head down to the hands like that. Okay. So we'll begin with that, and then we'll do the little announcement together. Celebrate, celebrate the Visaka Puja, Puja, the day on which the Buddha was born, was enlightened, and when he passed away. We come together today and will Walk around, the shrine walk around the shrine with our hands together in reverence, with our hands together in reverence. To, pay our respects, to pay our respects and to express our gratitude, and to, express our gratitude to, our beloved teacher, to our beloved teacher and to honor his teaching and to, teaching, and to express our wish and our commitment commitment to follow his way way to the best of our ability.
Okay, so we can, uh, those who like to, we can gather out of the doorway here. Bring hats.
question. Well, I'm very happy to spend the day with uh, all of you guys, and at least a little while, and, uh, to be here in Santa Cruz. And uh, it's not that I'm, uh, I'm not here that, that often. I think some of you weren't even born. The last time I was here, that was about four years ago. Any of you less than four? One, please. So, um, four. Oh, there you go. Yes, yeah, so uh, I'm very, very happy to, to be here and to uh, spend this time with you. Um, you know, when we, we have a ceremony like that, we, we uh, repeat these words, it can seem a bit sort of strange or remote, or what is this about? But what we're, we're talking about in the, this kind of a ritual, it's a way of reminding ourselves how useful it is to be able to be wise, how useful it is to be able to be uh, unselfish and how, how useful it is to be able to to um, uh, say bring our lives into harmony with, with how things are with nature and so um, I thought I'd tell a story about uh, that, that illustrates that um, a little bit so a long time ago back in 1978 I'm sure many of you were not even thought of remotely thought of 1978 um, <laughs> you were born in 78, there you go. So, uh, back in 1978, um, I just uh, started life as a, a novice in a monastery in Thailand. And, um, you know, I, I'd never thought of myself as a greedy person. You know, when I was growing up, I thought I was a, a sort of very level-headed and... Um, easygoing kind of character, quite modest in my, my, my needs and the things that I, I thought I liked. I, I was a kind of, um, I thought I had a very simple life and I really liked a simple life and I wasn't a greedy type. But then when you go and live in a monastery and then you have uh, uh, a lifestyle which is really, really boring, so there's, <laughs> there's no radio, no music, iPods didn't exist, let alone, um, let alone computers even in those days. So there was no TV, no radio. Um, we had uh, one meal a day at 8.30 in the morning. And you might have a cup of tea a couple of times a week, otherwise it's water. So it's a very plain and simple life. So then I, I thought of myself as being a, a really um, a kind of a modest person and, and wasn't a greedy type. But what happens when the only interesting thing in the day is, is the, the one meal as your attention really gets locked onto that. So before, I used to be listening to music all the time, I was always reading about half a dozen books, I was always going to the movies and chatting with friends and, uh, and uh, hanging out and doing all kinds of things. So I didn't realize that my mind was, was being fed with lots, of, lots and lots of stuff and that all of my, my greed habits were being 
uh, say, fed or looked after by all the different things I was putting into my mind. Well, in the monastery, all of that was gone. There weren't any books to read. There's no radio to listen to, no places to go out with friends. It was a very, very simple life. But the one thing that did happen in the day was lunch. <laughs> so we would eat every day. So to my amazement, I suddenly got really, really interested in food. I never really cared about food that much, but then when it's the only thing that's happening in the day, then it gets really, really uh, a powerful presence. So anyhow, uh, on this particular occasion, so the, the monastery was a very nice place to live, and I liked the people, but the food was really, really simple. And then one day, the abbot said, oh, there's a festival out at this other, this other monastery. Do you want to come along? So I said, okay, uh, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go along. And he didn't mention that what was going to happen was there was going to be this huge banquet, like enormous amounts of, of very delicious food. Uh, far more uh, elaborate and, and uh, uh, involved, uh, beautiful and, and uh, interesting than the food that we generally had in the monastery. So uh, this became apparent as we got there and we got settled down and then the people started bringing in the pots of food and the trays of this and the piles of sweets and, and I think, wow, <laughs> this looks really interesting. And of course, at that time, I was a little novice down at the end of the line and the and my job was to, to help look after, at the end of the mealtime, uh, washing the, the bowl as when we have our, our, uh, our meal. Actually, here's my, here's my bowl. Oops. Can I have a bit of help there? Thank you. Need some assistance? Thank you for my show and tell. So this is, um, this is my bowl. This is what we eat from. It's also used as a suitcase. That's why it's so big. So, you know. We may be greedy, but we're not that greedy. So anyway, it was my job as a novice was to, is to wash not only my bowl, but the, the bowl of the, my, my teacher, the Ajahn, after the meal. So anyway, we had this, this huge amount of very delicious food was given to us. And it was up to you. You could spoon the, the, as much as you wanted to into your own bowl. At the monastery where I lived, other people put the food into your bowl. You just sat there. And then different monks came along and spooned it in. So you couldn't even choose what you got. But you didn't really care because anything that you got was really interesting. So not only was it this magnificent banquet with lots of delicious food, but you could help yourself to as much as you liked. So I, had, I filled up my bowl and had this, this uh, huge amount of, of food. So I'd uh, eaten far, far more than I really needed to. But you know how it is when there's something that you're, you know, you're, you're hungry and it's really delicious. And you go, wow, look at that. And you know how the more exciting it is, the quicker it vanishes. And you're looking at the empty plate and thinking, what happened there? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, that's what happened. I was scarfed all this, this food down. And, and to my amazement, even though I thought, wow, that's a lot of food in there. It was pretty nearly filled up. But it all went. And I was really full. I thought. And so then, uh, as I was then taking my own bowl and the bowl of the, the, uh, my teacher out to the place where the, the bowl washing happened, um, away from the main hall, I think, whoa, I can hardly walk. I'm just so stuffed. Yeah, I'll be, uh, yeah, that, um, I, I know I really overate, but uh, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, um, I'll you know, do some extra meditation tonight to burn it off. Or <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I certainly don't, eat, don't need to eat so much for a few days. So I felt really stuffed and overfull. Um, but, and, uh, and I was a bit of a slow eater, so I got to the, to the, the bowl washing place a bit uh, at the end of the line, so there's... Most people are already finished by then. So as I was washing the bowls, most of the other monks and novices had gone. Um, but I did have some company. And that company was a stray dog. 
Now, even though uh, I had finished everything in my bowl, uh, the custom was that you should always leave a little bit of food uh, left in your bowl. You shouldn't sort of finish the whole lot, but just as a, a token of, uh, of uh, say, being, being modest or not uh, eating absolutely every scrap available, you generally you're encouraged to leave a little bit behind in your bowl. And the abbot, uh, whose bowl I was washing, had left this one little rice cake, a kind of sticky rice cake, um, in, in the bottom of his bowl. And they are kind of sweet. And uh, they were a bit of an uncommon thing. We didn't see them very often in our monastery. And I thought, oh, well, the abbot left one of the, one of the rice cakes. And then I thought, the abbot left one of the rice cakes. <laughs> they're, kind of, they're kind of sweet. And I thought, no, you're not supposed to eat leftovers. You know, you're absolutely stuffed already. What are you thinking about? And I think, the abbot left one of those rice cakes. It's in my hand. There's no one else around. No one will see me eating the abbot's leftovers. And it is one of those rice cakes. And I, so this, what they call a, a, um, a, a moral dilemma, was, <laughs> appeared in my mind. What should I do? Should I just um, you know, wash the bowl? And, and also, the, uh, the fact was that uh, while I was having this little moral dilemma, I'm thinking, well, should I or shouldn't I? There was this stray dog that was getting closer and closer and the, the dog was giving me this, I know what's in that bowl. <laughs> and also, not only do I know what's in that bowl, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> and then the dog gave me this look, you're not going to eat that yourself, are you? You're not even thinking about eating that. You know I'm a hungry dog. <laughs> you can see how hungry I am. And you wouldn't dream of not giving me that, that extra rice cake would you? You wouldn't dream of such a thing. No. So really giving me the puppy dog look. And so I thought, oh, of course, you know, of course I'll give the rice cake to the dog. Well, in a minute. So back and forth and back and forth. There am I struggling. By this time, everyone has gone back to the hall. I'm out there by myself with the, with the, the two bowls and, and the dog. And, uh, but there's still there's this, this thing going on inside. I've got, but they're so good. You know, and there's one left, and no one will know. And well, that dog will find some food somewhere else. And and they say, yeah, but it's a hungry dog. You're going to take a, a a scrap of food. You're already stuffed to the gills, and you're going to take a scrap of food away from a hungry dog. How low can you get? <laughs> you know, back and forth and back and forth. All these different voices going on in my mind. And finally, I thought, oh, I can't, I can't bear it any longer. And I just ate it. <laughs> I confess. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, was, I was only 21 at the time. <laughs> so uh, to, to my great shame, I, I ate the cake and the, and the dog was, as I was eating it, the dog was giving me this, I can't believe it. You, a, a Buddhist monk, how could you do this to me? Not that I want to put pressure on you. <laughs> how could you do this to me? But I, I just switched off and thought, okay, just forget it. You know, just devour and be damned. I don't care. So by the, while I was having this huge dilemma out of the bowl washing area, other things had been happening back in the main hall. And by the time I, I, I'd finished the rice cake and the dog was sitting there going, how low can you get? I got back to the hall with these freshly washed bowls and I found everyone sitting there 
eating ice cream. <laughs> Now, I had not even seen ice cream in months and months. It was an extremely rare commodity. It never showed up. And they had brought out ice cream for everybody. And I had missed it. <laughs> Because I was out of the, out depriving this poor dog of its, <laughs> of its probably its one mouthful of food for the day. So I thought, this is a lesson. <laughs> so, and it was a very memorable, you know, I've never forgotten it, that there I was just following that, uh, that greedy and selfish impulse. And if I had just, um, let that go, not only would I have given the dog a, a bite of food for the day, but also, uh, I would have got some ice cream. <laughs> So sometimes when we're busy thinking about ourselves, we're actually missing out on something that's, that's going to be far more desirable and far more beneficial for us. So that uh, the, uh, um, you know, when we, we are thinking about values such as, as goodness or kindness or unselfishness, they're, they're not uh, just kind of uh, dumb religious ideas that are getting in the way of us having fun. They can actually be principles that really serve us and benefit us and, and enable us to have more fun along the way and ice cream so, so that's my story for this morning and uh, hope you all have a delightful feast I'm sure <laughs> speaking of, of feasting it's probably around about that time so um, maybe people want to get uh, things together I think if, if people who have food to prep lists to take off spoons to put in that kind of thing we can take about five minutes or so to do that and then um Oh yes. Okay, well, I can. What we can do is, um, I can sit here with my bowl, and the, the um, children, or even the larger children, the adults, can, can come up and just uh, put food in my bowl. Let's have the families with children do it first. Yeah. So give us about five minutes, and then as long as you want. <laughs> Thank you so much. I want to bring that guy to my screen. Well, well, yeah, you read my mind. Good time. Bye. 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 Right. Well, let me get organized first of all. Okay. What's your name?
season there is
So I'll chant a blessing now if people want to, to gather inside the hall. So we've uh, spent some time today uh, reflecting on the, the, the Buddha and uh, his, his, uh, his good qualities and also um, the... Uh, had a little bit of Dhamma teaching, meditation practice, and then the last of the three, Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. Sangha is the spiritual community, and what holds the community together is the quality of, of uh, unselfishness and kindness, generosity. So you've all um, demonstrated this, and uh, my bowl is <coughs> extremely, extremely... F- yeah. It's a dangerous story to tell, because people think, oh dear... We should get him Ajahn Amaro some ice cream immediately. So it's not a hint. It's just an, an illustrative story. So, you know, just to kind of give an example. So I'm, I've got more than enough food for the day. 
So anyway, what I'll do, I'll chant a blessing now. And this is to express our, uh, my gratitude for my life being sustained. Um, we always think, when people say, what's your favorite food? My general answer is, the food that's in my bowl. Uh, because the food that's on your plate is not interesting to me. Because <laughs> it's not, this is the, the food that's interesting, is what I've received. And we, we also train ourselves to think in terms that what we're living on is kindness. We are, we're, this body is made of the, the... I've been a monk for over 30 years, so this is a donated body. <laughs> this is, the, what you're looking at is entirely made of offerings that have come out of either this bowl or other bowls like it. This is a donated body. So thank you for that. <laughs> and the chant that I'll do is in the Pali language, the scriptural language, but it expresses that recognition that when we act out of kindness and generosity then our, um, the blessings from our goodness, our, our kindness, come back to us. Like the, the rain um, that comes from the, the sea falls on the mountains and returns to the sea once again. Um, so too our, our good actions return to us in the form of ayu, long life, one no, good looks, uh, sukhang, happiness, and balang, strength. So that's what these words mean. Yatha varivaha pura paripurindi sagarang eva meva itotinang petanang upakapati hichitang patitang tumhangipa meva samijatu sabe parandu sangapa chando panaraso yatha manijo diraso yatha Sabityo vivajandu Sabarogo vinasatu Mate bavatuantarayo Sukidikayu kopawa Abiwa danasilisa nichang vodhapachaino Chataro dhamma vadandi Ayuano sukang so please enjoy your lunch. And any announcements you want to make? So the, actually, look, so I've got everybody's attention. Let's have a couple of announcements. Um, the plates are on the table against the wall. And so if positions around the table that way will probably work pretty well. Um, there's hot water for tea. Um, there are offerings to all of us from the monastery in the form of books on the table. So you're and CDs, MP3 recordings. So you're welcome to have those after you fill up with food, maybe. And um, there's a chance for us to make offerings to Ajanamaro and the monks on the table here in the basket labeled label for the teachings. So please.
Maybe if those tissues become a bit closer. Okay. 